Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to greet you this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and it is great to be here. I am uh, Pastor Mike, uh, the new pastor here, even though this is my uh, first official Sunday uh, serving as your pastor in this role. The last time I was here uh, it was still an open question uh, as to whether or not I would be uh, coming. Thank you. Thank you, Mimi. Uh, so I'm glad to be back uh, and uh, glad to have my family here uh, with me, and uh, as, as you have heard, um, we are, I'm only here for a couple of Sundays, and we we are in the process of adopting a little one uh, in back in the United States. And uh, so we're still waiting for some things to come through with that. And so we uh, appreciate you praying with us uh, for that to come through. We'd ask that you would continue to do that. We all want to be here together. Um, and uh, in the meantime, my wife's been here for about six weeks and you all have gotten to know Vail a little bit. And I uh, just want to say thank you personally uh, for the warm welcome that you have given her and the ways that you've taken care of her. And I'm leaving uh, Presley and Ella when I go back uh, with her. So I'm excited for you all to get to know them as well. Um, so thank you all uh, for all of that. Uh, our passage for today uh, is, comes from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. If you're someone who likes to uh, follow along in your own Bibles, I would invite you uh, to turn there uh, now, but we'll also be putting the uh, scripture up on the screen. You can follow along that way as well. Um, so hear with me the word of the Lord. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And so leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves, they broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and they said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Thanks be to God for his word. Uh, let's pray that uh, God would apply this to our hearts and lives. Lord, we thank you today for your word, uh, for the gift of, of your Holy Spirit who authored these words. And we pray, uh, as Ken has already said, that you would speak to us today. Lord, we remember the Apostle Peter saying, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. To whom else can we go? So Lord, we turn to you once again today, asking that you would speak to us and to our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So for the last several weeks, uh, Vince has been walking you through the book of Jonah. You uh, have been looking at this theme, grace in a foreign place, with this idea that, that God's grace was being extended even into this foreign land, to this uh, city of Nineveh. Um, and, and I love that we're going through Jonah because it's such a great book of the Bible. I think, I think Jonah is one of those biblical stories that's often considered a children's story. If you grew up going to church, you probably heard the story 
story of Jonah somewhere along the line uh, in your Sunday school classes. I think it's probably included in pretty much every children's Bible uh, that's ever been published. Um, and, and it gets seen that way uh, because there's so much in this story of Jonah that seems so fantastical uh, if you read through it. And there's these, these crazy things that, that are happening throughout the book. You have this, this direct conversation between God and Jonah where they're, they're sort of just speaking to each other. Jonah hears God's audible voice and, and God tells Jonah exactly what he wants him to do. Go to Nineveh and call them to repentance. And so Jonah runs away from God. The first thing he does is he turns tail and he goes to Joppa and he gets on a ship to Tarshish, uh, which is the farthest place uh, that you can get away from where he is supposed to go. And so you have these ships at sea and this huge storm comes up and Jonah is sleeping underneath the decks in the bottom of the boat during this huge storm. And the only way to stop the storm is to throw Jonah overboard. And so uh, the, the other sailors, they take Jonah, they throw him overboard. As soon as they do, the storm stops. Jonah sinks all the way to the bottom of the sea, so far down that, that the seaweed is wrapped around his head. This is one of the descriptions that we get. And then God sends this huge fish. And Jonah gets swallowed by this fish. And I think that's what really does it, that detail right there, that makes it a children's story, is the fact that Jonah gets swallowed by this fish. I don't know why we do this, but it seems like every Bible story that includes animals gets to be considered a children's story, right? Noah's Ark, uh, we have Jonah. We don't necessarily talk about the talking donkey, but so much in numbers, but that one too, right? These become children's stories because they, they enliven our imaginations, right? We can, we can picture these images and these things happening. And so Jonah is in the belly of this fish and he lives inside it for three days and three nights and he prays in there and then he gets spit back onto land and he finishes the task that God gave him. So there's a lot in this story to capture a child's imagination, and there's good lessons to be learned in it too. But sometimes when a story is considered a children's story, um, then we've heard it so many times, we don't always come back to it as adults. We think, you know what? I know that story. I, I've gotten everything there is to get out of that story. That's a children's story. I don't need to come back to it again. And so we miss what God might have for us in this story because we think we already know it pretty well. But there's such depth and richness here in this book, uh, and, and that's why I'm glad that we are going through it here at ICP over this month. And it really highlights some of Scripture's big themes. We see God's sovereignty at work in the book of Jonah. We see it with the storm, that God sends the storm, and we also see that God uh, quiets the storm. We also see this with the fish, that God sends the fish to swallow Jonah. We also see that God then sends the fish to spit Jonah back on the land. And most especially, we see God's sovereignty at work in Jonah himself. Because God has a task for Jonah. And he's not going to just let Jonah off the hook because he goes and gets on a boat and tries to run far away. God doesn't just say, well, you know what? Jonah didn't want to do that, so I'm going to move on to the next prophet and get him to do it. No, God says, no, Jonah, this job is for you. You are the one who is going to Nineveh to call them to repentance, whether you want to or not. And in all of these things, we see God's sovereignty at work, that God has a plan, and it is not going to be thrown off course no matter what Jonah does. 
We also see our own sin, human sin on display in Jonah in important ways. We hear about the wickedness of the Ninevites, the the capital of the Assyrian empire. These guys were the most powerful empire at the time. And they were going around doing bad things, invading other uh, nations and cities and killing people and taking them captive. Um, These people would have been people that uh, Jonah would not have necessarily cared whether or not they came to repentance. But we also see uh, human sin in the sailors as they go and call upon their foreign gods. We see idolatry in this book. And we also see it most especially with Jonah. Jonah the Israelite, the one who worships the God of Israel, the one who should have known better, but the one who runs away from the task that God gives him, who does everything he can to get out of God's call on his life. And so we see human sin in the book of Jonah on display. And then perhaps most importantly in the book of Jonah, we see God's heart for lost people. We see God's heart for people who are far from him. God's desire is for people who are far from him to come to repentance, to turn away from their sin and to find life in him. God could have very easily destroyed Nineveh for their wickedness without giving them any warning, but he didn't. Instead, he gave them a chance to repent. He sent a prophet from a faraway land to go and tell them of the true God and call them to repentance. That's what God wanted for them. It's what he wanted for the sailors on the ship. It's what he wanted for Jonah. And it's what God wants for each and every one of us to come to repentance, to turn away from our sin and turn and find life in him. So there's a lot in Jonah for us to benefit from as adults. It's not just for children. So it's good for us to come back to this book again and again throughout our lives to see what new things God may want to be telling us through it. So all of that is meant as just a quick review uh, to lay the groundwork for today's passage, which is not from Jonah, you may have noticed. Uh, And so we're going to return to the book of Jonah in a couple weeks. Vince is going to wrap it up for us here. But what we're going to do over the next two weeks, today and next Sunday, is look at a couple of passages from the Old Testament uh, that connect back to Jonah. And to allow what we know about Jonah and what we see in that book to open these gospel passages for us and to give us a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what his mission was. And so there's two things that I'd like to do with today's passage from Mark. The first one is I want to look at the similarities between today's passage from Mark and the storm story in Jonah and try to open those up a little bit and see what we can learn from those. And then the second thing I want to do is to dig deeper into this story itself, the story from Mark, and to consider the three questions that are asked in this passage and what they might mean for us as Christ's followers today. So this passage from Mark, Jesus calming the storm, uh, it's also probably a familiar passage uh, to many of you if you've been going to church for a while. If it's your first time hearing it, then I hope that you will spend some time reading it and studying it and praying through it. It's a story that occurs in three of the four Gospels, both uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's also another one that's popular in Sunday school and in children's Bibles because, again, of all this great imagery. I think my favorite um, image of this uh, story comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't know if you all are familiar with that one. Um, it's one that we use at home, uh, and, and it really captures uh, the imagination. And in that, in that um, the Jesus Storybooks Bible, in the story, there's this picture where there's a wave that's pretty much straight up and down. And the boat that Jesus is on with the disciples is almost... Uh, 
pretty much straight up and down as well. And there's Jesus fast asleep, straight up and down, <laughs> without a care in the world. It's, he's completely vertical on this huge wave. And there's Jesus just fast asleep. And Mark even points out, I don't know if you all picked up on this, but Mark even points out that Jesus was asleep on a pillow. He's asleep on a pillow. I mean, he is really just out and is not worried about what's going on in the boat. And it's here that we start to see these similarities between this story and Jonah's story and how they parallel each other in several different ways. If you were someone uh, who was hearing the story that the disciples were telling back then uh, and you were familiar with the story from Jonah, then you might start to think, wait a second. So there was this big storm. And there were sailors that were fearing for their lives. And, and God's prophet is asleep in the back of the boat. You know what? I know another story just like that. The Jonah story has a lot of these things going on in it as well. Both of these men were sent by God to call people who were far from him to repentance. These stories have a lot about them that are the same. And what these connections do between these stories is allow Jonah to serve for us as a foil to Jesus. Meaning that these stories, with all of their similarities, have some significant differences too. Especially when we compare Jonah and Jesus, these two prophet figures in the stories. And when we look at these two men, these two prophets of God next to each other, what we see is that Jonah's faithlessness shows us Christ's faithfulness. It highlights Christ's faithfulness for us. When Jonah was sent by God to go to Nineveh, a, a place that was far away from his home, and called the people there to repentance, he went in the exact opposite direction. As we said, he tried to get as far away from Nineveh and from God's call on his life as possible. Yet when we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus was sent by God, his heavenly father, to earth to call us to repentance. Again, a people far away from God. He did so willingly, submitting himself to the will of his heavenly father. We're told in the beginning of Mark that Jesus began his ministry preaching, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This was the heart of Jesus' message from the very beginning. Repent and believe the good news. And even after Jonah preaches repentance in Nineveh, he goes outside the city and he waits for God's judgment to be passed on them. Jonah doesn't really want them to be saved, the Ninevites. He's hoping that they won't repent and that God's going to rain destruction down on them. Yet in Jesus, we have someone who took God's judgment on himself so that all who put their faith in him could be saved. And it's his desire for all people to come to repentance and new life in him. You know, I think it's easy when we look at Jonah to judge him uh, for his faithless response to God. I don't know if you've ever done that when you read the book of Jonah, but you think, man, what was wrong with that guy? Why didn't he get it? I mean, God clearly told him what to do. So why did he run away? And why was he so upset about these Ninevites? But I wonder if we can't also recognize our own sinful tendencies in Jonah. Do we always respond positively to God's call in our lives? Or do we look for ways to get out of it at times? Do we always desire to see aggressive and destructive world powers repent 
and be spared from God's judgment. I know for me, I so often want to see people get what's coming to them, at least from my perspective. I don't want what's coming to me, but I often look at other people and think, yes, God, I want your judgment for that purpose, per person. You know, I wonder if we can't look at Jonah and recognize ourselves in him to some degree. And what I hope that we focus on in looking at these two prophets side by side is not uh, so much Jonah's faithlessness, not his shortcomings and disobedience, but that by looking at Jesus through the lens of Jonah's flaws, that we see even more clearly Christ's faithfulness and his perfection. Jesus is shown to be greater than Jonah. Jesus is shown to be the true prophet of God in this passage when we hold them up to one another. But our passage from Mark today doesn't want to just leave things there with Jesus as sort of the true prophet of God. And this is where the questions that we see in these verses in our passage today come into play. There's three questions. And we're going to look at each one of them, uh, not necessarily in the order they show up in the passage, but we're going to look at each one of them one at a time. At the end of the passage, the disciples ask the question. After all of the activity is done, the storm has been calmed, and they say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? Jesus is the true prophet of God, but through this story, Mark wants to reveal him as something even more than that as well. One of the themes that runs through the gospel of Mark is this sense of mystery, and particularly regarding the identity of Jesus. Who is this man? Who are we dealing with here? We as the reader are told at the very beginning of the gospel exactly who Jesus is. And so we have the benefit of reading through the gospel knowing what others don't know. That the whole book starts with the line, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we already know the answer to the disciples' question, who is this? It's the Son of God. But what we get to watch happening throughout the gospel of Mark is how Jesus' identity as the Son of God is revealed to everyone else very slowly, and how they respond to it. We see this with the crowds of people that follow Jesus around from town to town, watching him perform his different miracles. We see this with the Pharisees, who are often challenging Jesus and opposing him in different ways. We see this with the disciples, the ones closest to Jesus, the ones who are seeking to learn from him. We even see it with Jesus' own mother and brothers. Nobody quite gets what's going on with him. Is Jesus a great miracle worker who, who casts out demons and, and heals people's diseases? Well, yes, yes, we see that happening in the gospel. Is he a prophet of God's kingdom calling people to repentance? Yes, that's the heart of his teaching. It's clear to people that there is something different about this man, that God is at work through him in powerful ways. But they keep missing the full picture. They don't grasp it yet. And that's why this question carries so much weight with it. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's not surprising that the disciples would ask this question here. If you put yourselves in their shoes, uh, you can imagine what it must have been like. They're on a boat. They're heading to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're doing this because Jesus said, we're going to do this. We're going to go to the other side. When all of a sudden this huge storm comes up and, and Jesus had already gone to the back of the boat and he had fallen asleep on his pillow uh, and, and then this huge violent storm comes up out of nowhere, threatening your very life. And there's your fearless leader 
This one who God is clearly using in powerful ways, still asleep on his pillow in the back of the boat. And so you go and and you wake him up and you say, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care if we drown? And Jesus acts like you're the one with the problem when you do this, when you wake him up. And he says two words to the storm and everything calms down. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And at first, it seems like the story leaves us wanting. It ends with that question. And it moves right on to the next story, uh, Jesus doing more miracles, more teaching. There's no answer at the end. We're not told who he is. We're just left to ponder it for ourselves. But Mark is clever. And if we look closer at what's going on here, we find that the answer to the question is in the story itself. Even within the question Jesus says, quiet, be still to the storm, and it calms down. The disciples say, even the wind and the waves obey him. And these are our clues as to who we are really dealing with here. As Vince talked about uh, in his sermon a few weeks ago when he covered uh, the storm in Jonah, the sea loomed large in the imagination of the ancient world, the deep, the sea, the waters, it was mysterious and dangerous. It was, it was full of unseen, deadly creatures. It was unpredictable, and there were perils everywhere. It's hard to imagine anything more terrifying than being caught in a major storm at sea. If you were out in the middle of the ocean, every boat seems small in the middle of the ocean, uh, and a huge storm comes up and threatens to break the boat apart. You might be shipwrecked, You might be lost at sea. You might drown. There's all kinds of predators under the water that you don't know if they're coming or not. You were at the mercy of the elements, forces much more powerful than you were. And so the sea came to represent all of the powers of chaos at work in the world, evil and sin and chaos. And for many people, especially non-seafaring people like the Israelites, it was to be feared. The Old Testament shows the sea in this light in many different places, Jonah being a prime example in the storm story there. But we also see it with the Red Sea in the book of Exodus as the Israelites are escaping Egypt and Pharaoh's army and they come up against the Red Sea and there's nowhere for them to go until God parts the waters and allows them to pass through. Or we can go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And there we read that the earth was formless and void, and darkness spread over the deep, and God's spirit hovered over the waters, and God spoke into the darkness and created light, and God spoke into the chaos of the deep, and he separated the sea from the dry land, and he gave it form and substance. God brought order to the chaos. Psalm 107 uh, is the recounting of many different situations where God has redeemed his people, where he has saved them from the destruction that is about to come upon them. And in Psalm 107, verses 23 through 32, it says this, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters and they saw the works of the Lord and his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he commanded and raised, stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. 
and they mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths and in their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We see that the disciples that were on the boat with Jesus, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Jesus made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. The witness of the Old Testament is that it is God alone who has the authority to command the sea, the wind and the waves. And so when the disciples were troubled and in distress, they cried out to Jesus and he delivered them. Jesus said to the storm, hush and be still. And it obeyed. And so while Mark does not give an explicit answer to the question, who is this? For those with ears to hear, there is no doubt that he is claiming that this Jesus is one with the God of Israel, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who commands the sea. That is who we are dealing with here in this Jesus. That is who was sleeping in the back of the boat. And so now that we have an answer to this main question, who is this? The passage gives us two more questions for, uh, to wrestle with here. And the first one is one that comes from the disciples to Jesus. When they go wake him up, they say, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we are perishing? Many times, I think when we read this passage, uh, we apply it to ourselves and to our own personal lives. And that's, that's a good way to do it. We look and say, this is the God who commands the elements, who, who is sovereign over all of the created order. He can quiet the storm. And yet, what does that mean for me in my own life? And so we look and say, yes, but Lord, can you quiet the storms that are involved in my life as well? We all have difficult times and challenges, things that come up in our faith. We have storms. We have chaos in our lives. And the powers of evil are looking to come to us all the time and pull us away from our God to disrupt our lives. Can Jesus calm those storms as well? And of course, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who calms the sea in these stories, has the ability to bring order into the chaos of our own lives. What this question gets at is whether or not God is going to deal with those storms, though. Don't you care, Lord, if we drown? Don't you care that we are perishing? That's a prayer of lament, like we see so often in the Psalms. Wake up, God. Where are you? Wake up. Don't you see what we are going through here? Don't you see what I'm going through right now? And while we might take comfort in knowing that Jesus has the power to help us, when we're in the, in the midst of life's chaos, we may wonder and question whether God really wants to help. Does God know what's going on in my life? Or is he asleep somewhere? Not sure what's happening. 
These are thoughts that perhaps you have had at some point in your life before. Prayers that you've prayed, if not out loud, then in the depths of your heart. Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? It's a prayer that I can't help but wonder if our brothers and sisters in in the Ukraine and in other war-torn countries are praying right now. Or our brothers and sisters that live under oppressive governments or those who are persecuted regularly for their faith in Christ. Do they cry out in this way? Wake up, God. Don't you care that we are perishing? But maybe for you, it also strikes closer to home. Lord, my family is falling apart right now. Or we are in great financial need. Lord, take away this, this a disease that is attacking my body. Lord, look at what my loved ones are going through. Isn't there something you can do to help? Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Help us. Save us from our distress. And these are real legitimate prayers, and, and we should pray them. God wants our honest prayers, not just the cleaned up versions that we give him sometimes. But even as we pray that prayer, we also have to be prepared for the question that Jesus gives to the disciples in response. After he calms the storm, Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now certainly there's a a, a bit of a rebuke here from Jesus to his disciples in this question. You should know better by now. You've seen what I've been doing in this world. But it's also a a reminder to us of his sovereignty over all things and an invitation for us to put our faith and trust in him once again. Jesus is saying, yes, yes, I care that you are perishing. And whether it seems like it or not, I do have things in hand. A dear woman from our church uh, back home in the United States died recently. Um, She was 101 years old, uh, and she had spent a life faithfully serving the Lord. And at her funeral, the pastor who was officiating the service, a good friend of mine, uh, recounted how Mary would often say when people would come and ask her to pray with them, which people would do because you knew she would pray for you if you asked her to. Uh, When people would come with their troubles to her, she would say, well, the Lord knows all about that. The Lord knows all about that. So let's go talk to the Lord about it. And for her, from her, it did not come across as flippant or self-righteous in any way. It was just a simple reminder that God is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he has things in hand. And it's a reminder to take our troubles before the Lord, believing that he already knows all about them and that he does care. Perhaps the best thing we can do in response to to both of these final questions in this book is to look to the cross, to look to the cross of Jesus Christ, because it's there that Jesus, the crucified one, is fully revealed as the son of God. And when you wonder whether the Lord cares that you are perishing, you can look there and see him on that cross and know that the answer is yes. Does God care that you are perishing? Yes. In fact, Jesus cares so much that he went to that cross so that you would not have to perish, that you may have eternal life in him.
The promise of Jesus Christ on the cross is not that we don't face troubles in this life. In fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But behold, take heart, I have overcome the world. The promise of the cross is that our sins have been forgiven and that we can have eternal life with him. If you ever wonder if Jesus cares, then look to the cross and remember that your sins were taken there with him and you are offered new life from that place. And when the chaos of this life leads you into fear and doubt, look to the cross praying, Lord, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you, you know all about it. You know all about our hearts, our sin, all of the ways that we are inclined to look away from you. Lord, you also know all of the troubles of our lives. You also know our desire to follow you faithfully. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he does care. Lord, that, that in Christ you have shown us and proven to us that you care whether we perish or not. We thank you that you have made a way for us through him not to perish, but have everlasting life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.